story that has been written by many different authors through different types of literature, uh, different writings, different plots, different subplots that ultimately we're saying it leads us to Jesus. It, it points us towards him. And so to help us do that, we've broken uh, the scriptures or the story of the scriptures down into four parts or if you like four acts of a play and uh, we've said this so the four parts are creation fall redemption and restoration now for the longest time um, faithful Christians have focused their attention on the two central plots of the story fall and redemption And whilst those two parts are important and true, when we focus just on two parts of that story, we end up with this kind of truncated or half story. The the picture that we've been using is it's a bit like um, showing up to a movie 30 minutes late. You know, and so you get there and you're you're not quite sure what's going on. You've missed all those key character-forming moments um, not only is it like turning up to a movie 30 minutes late, but it's also like uh, leaving um, 30 minutes before uh, the movie ends. And so you leave before, before you kind of get a conclusion to the outcome of the story. And, and, and because we've treated the Bible like this at times, we've, we've reduced the story to sin. And, um, and what we've done is we said, you know, sin is there, God is angry, and Jesus has come to solve the problem. That's kind of how we've reduced the story. And, and inadvertently, we've, we've created a gospel, what Dallas Willard says is sin management. Uh, we've created a gospel of sin management where people, uh, good, faithful people, pray a prayer uh, to get to heaven when they die. You know, and, and what we do in between now and heaven is we, we kind of keep, keep ourselves mildly entertained. Um, you know, and as long as everyone gives uh, their tithes and offerings, we can keep going. Uh, that's kind of, uh, the, kind of the reductionistic gospel that we've produced. But when I, actually what we see, and we talked about this last time, is this, this story doesn't start with sin. That's quite a novel idea, isn't it? That this story doesn't start with sin, but actually it starts with God and a God who creates. Uh, A story that starts with creation. And that creation, God said he's good. (laughs) Repeatedly said, it is good. Uh, And God creates humanity. And he creates humanity in his image. And he chooses humanity to rule on his behalf. This is where the story starts. Um, and, and when we understand the context, when we understand where the story starts, we begin to understand the bigger picture of what it is God is doing. That it's, it's far more than just managing your sin. Amen? You know, if we're Pentecostals, <laughs> um, we, we would be saying amen uh, to that. Now, I would imagine... Lots of us would be comfortable in saying that the Bible is the word of God. And, you know, I'm sure we can all nod and agree to that. But the reality is that it means something completely different to allow the word and the way that we read it to influence our whole lives. 
Um, but if we're going to do that, as I say, we need to understand uh, the story uh, that we're telling. And that it's this far more encompassing story. And so today, as we look at the second act of this narrative, um, I'm calling today Naked and Ashamed. And the first tip is don't Google that, okay? Um, you, might, you might find some things you don't want to find. But um, um, we're calling today Naked and Ashamed. And what we're talking about this morning is the next, chap- next chapter of the story. We're refer- referring to this thing that we call the fall. And, and, and you know, it's easy to detach ourselves from stories in the Bible that we are overly familiar with. Uh, you know, we're so familiar, aren't we, with Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We, we kind of know how the story goes. And yet, if there is a story in the Bible that we can most relate to, that most tells our story, it's actually this one. And so after the story starts with this beauty of creation in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, suddenly we get to chapter 3 of Genesis and we see that everything has gone wrong. And in many ways, we often find that stories that are worth something actually end up going this kind of way, don't they? Great stories often have moments of conflict where something goes wrong, uh, where the heroes are in trouble, uh, where the good guys find themselves on the back foot and the bad guys seem to be winning. I'm sure we could all think of a story like that. Um, Some of you will know this or you will at least learn to know this, is that I'm I'm slightly fond of a underrated movie franchise called Star Wars. And, um, but as great as six of the, six of the nine films are, um, as any fan will tell you, the best Star Wars film is The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, why is that? Because it's the one where it gets really dark. It gets really gloomy. The heroes in the story are all separated and in trouble. Han Solo, Harrison Ford, he's frozen in carbonite. Um, And uh, Luke Skywalker, he has his hand chopped off by his own father. Spoiler. Um, and, um, and And as the title of the film tells us, the emperor, the bad guy, he's winning. He's winning. And you see, every good story has a, a, a climactic moment of conflict where everything seems lost, where all hope seems to be gone. And so what is it in God's story that causes everything to go wrong? Well, really, it comes down to one simple word, sin. Sin. And uh, we... And, we really, to really understand the story, we have to understand the story of sin. Aren't you glad you come this morning? We're going to talk about sin. Um, you see, when sin enters the story, sin is the thing that uh, stops the, our world from being all that it is meant to be. You see, God in his created genius forms the world as a, a community of grace that reflects the nature of himself. 
In the beginning, God creates all things. And as we saw last time, he repeatedly says, it's good. Damn, it's good. Everything in creation is in harmony. Everything was as God intended it to be. And it, and it flows out of this community of grace, this oneness. It flows out from God himself. And he lives in this community of grace, love, and harmony. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, the aim of God in history uh, is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Now, it's important to understand that in God's story, and if you're a Calvinist, you're going to hate me, but in God's story, grace precedes sin. Grace precedes sin. And that's really important because a lot of us have been told is grace is God's answer to sin. That it's sin that makes grace necessary. But that's not how the story goes. It's not how the story works. You see, the whole story starts with grace. And God building a community of grace in his creation. And that grace is already there before sin even rears its ugly head. You see, sin is ignited by a serpent. And, you know, I know this story is a little bit hard to grasp, isn't it? You know, a a talking snake uh, deceives Eve in the garden. We see that he manipulates her. He causes them to doubt what God really said. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you quickly turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'm actually going to read... Genesis 2, verse 25, and then we'll skip to chapter 3. But it says this. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was the most crafty, uh, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. I mean, we must not even touch it or we will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and Evil. Let's just pause there for a moment. You know, in many ways, you know, the story of Genesis, uh, the creation story, is really a story about human identity, isn't it? It's about who we are. It's about who we were created to be. And the truth is that the manipulation from this serpent, the, the lies from this serpent, is actually a tragic irony. Because the truth is... Eve was already like God. She was already like God. She was already created in God's image. You know, that's the sad irony, isn't it, of, of what, how this tragedy works out um, in, in chapter 3. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food 
and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of God, the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put... (laughs) Blame it on the woman, yeah. The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so as I said, we're familiar with this story, aren't we? We're familiar with the outcomes of this story. But I'm guessing in our minds, as you've heard me read that story again, in your mind, you interpret it a little bit like this. God has a bunch of rules. Adam and Eve didn't obey those rules. So God punishes Adam and Eve and has been punishing humanity ever since. That's kind of how we paraphrase what's going on here. Um, But actually, if that is how we understand it, I think we, we miss something of what's really going on. You see, if we think sin is just about rules and regulations, we miss the real tragedy of this story. If we think it's all about just keeping laws and making sure we behave in the right way, then, then we totally miss the point. You see, the story of sin isn't about regulations. It's about relationships. It's not about rules or how we conduct ourselves, but it's about how we relate to God, to one another, and the world around us. You see, sin is a problem not because of rules getting broken, but because of relationships being broken. And it causes this catastrophe in God's story where this community of grace that he already created uh, has been broken. Think about it this way. Let's say you are a parent and you have uh, some rules for your child that say, you know, at a certain time of the day, you cannot play out on the street. Um, Now, you don't make those rules because the street is bad or evil or because you want to spoil your child's fun. You have those rules out of love and a desire to protect your child from harm. You know, you don't want them to be in a situation that will cause pain, uh, either to them or to you as a family. And you see, God says, don't eat from this one particular tree. And he doesn't say that to kind of create some invisible line to see if they will cross it. I think that's sometimes how we think about this story. We say, God says, don't touch that. And I'm drawing this line to make sure I'm testing you. I'm going to see if you're going to step over this line. But that isn't the reason. He doesn't do that. He does it to protect his family. He does it to protect what he's created, this grace-filled community uh, from harm. 
You see, the story of sin is primarily about what causes relationships to break down, this community of grace to break down. And the truth is, Adam and Eve simply did what we've all done. What we've all done. Basically, they said to God, what I want and what I need is about me. It's about me and, and, and I'm going to place me at the centre of my story and I'm going to put myself first. It's about me and my world. It's not about us. It's not about our, but it's about me. And as a result, we live in a world that's broken by sin. My sin, your sin, our sin. We live in this world that's broken with that reality. And, and, sin, and sin cannot be simply about breaking rules and laws. It's much more than that. It's about, it's about breaking relationships. The relationships that we were made for. The relationship we were made to have with God. The, the relationship we were made to have with one another. You know, the moment um, Adam and Eve were enlightened, they, what did they do? They realized they were naked. And, and their instinct was to cover themselves up. And there's this picture of, of broken humanity, broken relationships. The Apostle Paul in Romans uh, 1 and verse 25, he says this. He says, they, meaning anyone who's ever sinned, exchanged the truth about God that God is at the centre of the story and they exchanged it for a lie, worshipping and serving created things rather than the creator. You see, one of the ways that the Bible defines sin, and it's a really weird word, and it's sin in our culture. People don't like that word at all. But another word they don't like is idolatry. Um, but one of the ways the Bible uh, defines the word sin is idolatry. And, and, and in some ways, idolatry simply means misdirected worship. Or as I heard someone say recently, worship turned in on itself. And the tragedy of the story is that we have exchanged the story of God for the story of me. For the story of you. For the story of us. We've, we've turned our worship, our affection in on itself. And so this wonderful story of God that he created all things uh, and he created us in his image to be in relationship with him was, was exchanged at this moment for a lesser story, a story centered around individuals. Sin, sin is ultimately anything that breaks down this community, these relationships, this community of grace that we were made for. Think about it this way. Think about, you know, the best marriage that you could picture, okay? Um, the best married couple. They're probably not the couple who are out for themselves and out to just get their own way all of the time. When you think about a great marriage, you probably think about a couple, maybe they're slightly elderly, um, uh, slightly grey-haired, been together for a long time, and they have learnt to lay their lives down for one another. And when we see that picture, we celebrate it, don't we? We celebrate uh, a healthy 
marriage. We say that that is a great picture of what it means to be married. And so when we see that and we celebrate that, I think what it does is we identify with the way we're called to live, the way we're called to outwork relationships. You know, we could say the same thing about a great friendship or, or like a great business. You know, everyone loves a business, don't you, that where profit is not its driver. Um, but it's just, you know, profit is the thing that happens. But actually, they want to do good. They want to change the world. They want to see something significant happen. And when we look at things like that, uh, when we look at the thing that the Bible describes as sin, ultimately, they are things that focus us to be more individualistic uh, rather than living for the benefit of others. Um, and, and sin causes us to focus on ourselves when actually we've created to benefit one another. See, sin is anything that breaks the community of grace we were made for. And so things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, they aren't just sins because God set the rules. They're all, uh, they're all about someone getting what they want at someone else's expense. You see, uh, whatever short-term gains sin gives us, whether it's money, fame, gratification, it's always at someone else's expense, isn't it? You know, look at what's going on in our world right now. You look at, you know, um, the conflict in the Ukraine. You know, that is about one man's desire to get something, get what he wants at, at thousands of other people's expense. So sin is not some outdated religious word. Sin is the problem with our world. It's the problem with our world. And sin is the problem with my world. And, and it's not a problem that's solved by just following or modifying my behavior. Ask my wife. Uh, you know, it's possible for me to try really hard. And you could, hear, you could hear someone like me talk about sin today and you think, I'm going to go home and I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm going to follow all the rules and uh, become the best person I know. And you can do all that and still not have God at the center of your life. Do you know that? You can follow all the rules, do all the right things and God still not be at the center. And so in this story, we have to deal with the issue of sin. And we deal with sin by thinking about another word that's probably just as uncomfortable as the word sin. And that is the word repent. Whoa, you're going to enjoy lunch today, aren't you? <laughs> um, but, you but you see, again, this word has got loads of baggage, hasn't it? You know, when I hear the word repent, I think of an American preacher in a white shiny suit, you know, wagging his finger telling everybody to repent um, but we you know we have some baggage with this word repent but you know there are two words uh, in the scriptures for the word repent in the old testament uh, is the word tesava and that word means to return or another way of thinking about it is to go back to where you belong Go back to the place where you belong. 
You see, repentance is the realization that the center of our life isn't aligned with God's created order. It isn't aligned with who God created us to be. And it's about us making a choice to return to him and to the community and the relationships he created us for. Jesus tells a story uh, in the New Testament that relates to this uh, about a son who rejects his father and he goes off to a far land to squander his inheritance. And then finally, once he's, he's spent everything that he has and he's, he's down in the gutter, you know, eating from the troughs of pigs, um, he, he realizes just how desperate his life has become. And one day this son realizes that he has nothing else left. And so in Luke 15, he says this, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. And so he got up and went to his father. Some translations say he got up and he returns. Tesuva. He returns to his father. And then as we read on, we read, I think, one of the most amazing pictures of of God's heart towards his creation. It says, but whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, the father hadn't given up on the son. He hadn't stopped looking for him and even ran out to hug him. And then, and, and finally the son has returned. And he throws this wild party in celebration for his son coming back. You see, repentance for the son was that he had realized that he had chosen a life of self over relationship. Himself over God. The realization that he needed to return to his father and the community that he, was, he belonged to, that he was made for. And in many ways, this story captures everything of what God has been doing since sin entered into his story. You see, God's dream, and we're going to get there in a few weeks' time, God's dream is to restore all that is broken. It's to restore things back to the created order that he made. He wants to restore that brokenness. And, and, and part of restoring that brokenness is an invitation to you and me to repentance. Through us choosing to return to what God has called us to. And so my question for us today is this. What is it that you need to return to today? What is it you need to tesovah? as it says. What do you need to repent of to return to God? Now, what I don't mean by that is I don't mean what do you need to feel bad about right now and fix? Because that's where some of your minds have gone. I don't mean that at all. 
It's not about what do you feel, feel bad about and try and fix. What we mean is, is um, what are the things you have placed in your life that break the relationships that you were made for? What are the things in your life that rob you from fully experiencing that community of grace that God has placed you into? That community of connection to him, to one another and to the world. The scriptures tell us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, it's his generosity, it's, it's his love, it's his, it's his delight that leads us to our place of return. A place where we return to him. And so maybe, and I'm conscious that it's not the cheeriest part of the story uh, this morning, but as we contemplate the place where we've reached in the big story of the Bible... This place where the brokenness of sin comes and robs us from all that we were made for. Where do we need to return to God today? Where have we placed other things where he should be? Where have we um, squandered the things that are at our disposal? And where, have we, where do we need to return to him this morning? So why don't, why don't, we, sta- why don't we stand?